I hadn't read any of it. So I was like, I'm going to go read some other MM authors and see like how you, you know, do this. Right. And the first book I read was Kay Webster's um, Wicked Lies Boys Tell. And that's like a friends to enemies to lovers story. And I just, I loved it. Like I was just hooked. Hey, hey, welcome to another episode of Steam Scenes. I'm your host, contemporary romance author, El Greco, and I appreciate you being here for another steamy moment, especially on this as I record freezing cold day. February has come to the Northeast U.S. with a vengeance after a very mild January. The peak of Mount Washington, which is in New Hampshire, is supposed to get wind chills of negative 100 degrees, which is a fuck that temperature kind of temperature. So good thing we're heating things up today with Ashlyn Druick on this episode. Ashlyn has the kind of background tailor-made for writing romance. Interest in law enforcement? Check. Needing a creative outlet from the stress of her job? check. She injects a little bit of morbidity into her work because real life is dark and gritty, so her fantasy worlds are too, but there's always a happily ever after. It was such an awesome conversation, and Ashlyn gets so honest, especially about what it's like writing scenes that are dealing with difficult moments um, and and things, things like dubious consent and non-consent, and how to live and inhabit that space as a writer without damaging your own mental health. Before we get to the interview, though, first, a big giant thank you to you, my amazing listener. January was a banner month for Steam Scenes. Um, The downloads for this little podcast were the best I've ever had, and I so appreciate you listening. So please continue to tell your fellow romance lovers about this pod. My goal this year, since I'm not writing as much as I would like to be, is to fill loads more ears with the naughty bits and I need your help to do it. If you enjoy Steam Scenes, please head over to your favorite podcast app and rate and review. It gives a nice little boost to the algos so more romance lovers can find us. Now let's dig in with Ashlyn. International best-selling and award-winning dark romance author Ashlyn Druick has always been a hopeless romantic. She's also fascinated by the dark, macabre things in life. You can blame a love of Halloween and Edgar Allan Poe for that one. Most of her time is spent making up stories in her head or researching some obscure topic just because she's that much of a nerd. It's the rabbit hole and I love it. The degree on the wall says she's a historian, but the paycheck says she's a first responder. Ashlyn lives in Northern Illinois with her patient husband, fearless daughter, and a house full of animals. Ashlyn, welcome to Steam Seeds. Thanks for taking the Steam Seat today. Yes, thank you for having me. I know, this is super cool. So, okay, this wasn't uh, like on the prep questions that I sent you, but I'm super curious. What, uh, can you tell me what you do as a first responder or is that not cool? Oh, no, absolutely. Um, I am a 911 dispatcher, so I <laughs> answer the 911 calls. I dispatch police, fire, medical. Um, yeah, so uh, the technical term is telecommunicator, but I it's a 911 dispatcher. Okay, because so. I'm kind of, I, that kind of feels like it ties into your writing somehow. <laughs> like, like I, I'm seeing a tie in here some, some way of, in terms of like what you do every day and what you must hear, you know, sort of on your nine to five, or I'm sure 
you know, 11 to seven, I'm sure you work these weird hours. Um, oh yeah. You know, so like what you're hearing and then, and then I guess like what you're writing because you are writing a dark romance. Um, yes. Paranormal, uh, uh, you know, but not just paranormal. It's a little hard to explain what you're writing. <laughs> yeah, I'm a little all over the place. Um, the first book I did was uh, male, female, vampire, cops um so obviously that was pulled like minus the vampire stuff directly from you know my work wait you don't mean to say um, that there what <laughs> no sadly there are no hot vampire detectives running around oh my god that's such um, a bummer i know but most of like that whole book to my coworkers is hilarious because it's just full of inside jokes from our department you know people turns of phrases like it just it's like a like an ode to my coworkers um because they were the ones who pushed me to even start writing really so yeah like oh. I had been doing it okay. um and I I wanted to be published I tried the whole traditional published route and that obviously didn't work so I took a break from it and then one of my friends who's a deputy she was like you should really like go back to writing like you should write that vampire book you were talking about so oh. I did. And then I just went down a rabbit hole of like other, <laughs> other things. So, oh my God. Okay. So this is, so you're, you're a quote unquote out to your colleagues. Like they know that you're writing this yes. sort of very, very steamy, <laughs> very dark romance. <laughs> yes. Okay. All right. Um, they were like, they're all okay with it. And they think it's super cool. And, you know, they're like, when you make it big, like we want to be on your security detail. Like, you know, we want to, we want to help or we want to be in the movie. Oh, um, that's so sweet. <laughs> I love that. That's adorable. But when I started writing MM, you know, like male loving male romance, a couple of the guys were like, um, I don't think I can follow your Instagram anymore. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So you're like, it's okay. You're not my target audience. <laughs> right. I was like, that's okay. Thank you for your support. Like, you know, I get it. I went way off what you thought I was going to be doing. Uh, but that's oh. how it happens. Oh my God. That's like, well, actually, you know, it's very funny kind of speaking about that target audience. I did like a TikTok purge over the weekend and to sort of clean up my TikTok. Cause I was following all sorts of shit on there that I, as I understand is not good for the mm -hmm. algos and so I was like I, I was like sorry husband I'm following you yeah. <laughs> not yep. my target audience like it kind of feels a little bit like that like you're kind of like I love you not my target audience right <laughs> yep so I'm curious how you I'm well I'm very curious how you ended up as a 911 dispatcher um you know you're a historian you're a writer like where did that like how did that happen um the recession in 2007 okay so I graduated from college in 2006 December okay. of 2006 and I was going to be a history teacher um that was what I wanted to do and uh while I was like finishing up my bachelor's, they're like, there's no room for history teachers. All they want is, you know, STEM teachers. There's right. an oversaturation of, you know, social sciences. You're never going to find a job. And I was like, well, that's great. <laughs> so <laughs> I literally just started looking for jobs and the, um, the sheriff's office that I was, that I work for 
was hiring. And I was like, my dad was a cop. I've always been interested in law enforcement in high school for a time. I wanted to join the FBI and then 9-11 happened. And I was like, nope, don't want to do that. Mm. Um, so I just applied. I was like, I'll, I'll just apply to this dispatching job and see what that's all about. And I got hired two months later and I've been there ever since. Wow. Cause I know, I know dispatching in particular on 911 is super high stress. That is my oh, understanding. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, like you're dealing with a lot of shit and there's like a lot of balls in the air and sort of like and horrifying, like you hear like probably some horrifying, horrifying things. Yeah. Um, which I mean, if you were interested in law enforcement, like you were probably already like had the stomach for that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that part, like in the moment, it doesn't bother you because like, you're just like your adrenaline's up, you're focused, like, you know, you don't have time to think about it, right. but there's been plenty of days I come home and just like burst into tears the minute I walk in the door oh because God. people suck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah because I'm wondering no. I'm sort of wondering if there is a sort like because you are writing dark like I, I feel like this is kind of like maybe a fair like almost like therapy in a way or were you always right so I guess maybe we should take a couple steps back here and I should say at what point were you like oh I want to I want to like I, I am interested in writing or were you always writing when you were a kid I'm sort of curious <laughs> wait I'm, I'm trying to merge the two here <laughs> yeah I um I always was interested in writing um, way back when I, I was like in fourth and fifth grade, like I was, you know, doodling weird little stories and notebooks. Um, and then I'm really going to age myself, but then AOL came along <laughs> with their, with their message boards and their chat rooms. And I got involved in a medieval fantasy, like, role-playing group I guess where you like you you write first person you know like for your character and I just thought it was so cool like I my sister my older sister was into it um we had like a close group of friends that was doing it so like we created like this whole medieval fantasy world on AOL and it was yeah like it just I I got addicted to it. And so I wrote like all like through my childhood, through high school. Um, but I never thought about being a writer. It was just something I did, you know, for fun. And then right. I was dispatching and <laughs> hating life and wanted like a creative outlet. So I started writing and I was like, well, you know, like, why don't I try getting published? And like I said, I tried going the, the, you know, literary agent route and the right. traditional route and that didn't work out. Um, so I took a break for like 10 years. I was like, forget this. Like, I'm just gonna, you know, move on with my life. And I was pregnant with my daughter. And that's when my friend Megan was like, you know, you should really finish that, you know, that book that you were doing or like start writing that book you were talking about. So I did. And I started writing on my phone. Like I just opened oh my God. pages app on my phone. And I literally like thumb typed like 40,000 words. And I'm like, maybe I should switch this to like a computer. I'm an awesome so, people that do that. Cause I know there are a number of authors that can write on their phones and I'm like, can't do it. My life would be so much easier if I could, but can't yeah. do it. It's amazing. It, it was like, cause I just would add little bits here and there, you know? And so like, I wasn't really serious about it, but once I got serious then I got the laptop and, you know, <laughs> sat down and actually planned things. 
So yeah, then I, you know, I didn't even try the second time around. I didn't even try querying agents. I was just like, forget it. Like Amazon makes it so easy to self-publish. I'm just going to do that. Yeah. And I mean, really, you know, it's sort of interesting. I I kind of, you know, every once in a while have this conversation with, with folks. It's like, you know, when the publishing industry is really about what sells. And so it's not reflective of anybody's talent as a writer. It's like, it is just about will we be able to sell this manuscript and make money? And, right. and I think in particular, you know, 10 years ago, like you said, you took a 10 year break or however many years ago, probably mm-hmm. at this point over 10 years, like they, pro- were you writing dark back then? That should be my question. No, I was okay. writing um, young adult. I mean, like I felt more young adult ish than I do now, like, cause I'm, I'm 36. So 10 years ago, I still felt closer to like high school, college aged people. Right. Um, so I was doing uh, paranormal young adult. Um, okay. And I got close with a couple agents. Like a couple agents said, like, this is really good. I really like it, but I'm not in love with it or, but it's too similar to, you know, yeah. X, Y, or Z or whatever. Yeah. And I was just like, okay, like, yeah. Okay. So I was just tired of like beating my head against a wall. So that's why I was like, all right, I'm just going to take a break. So, um, okay. So then the, you were not, when did you turn to dark, uh, dark romance, like dark, right? I'm assuming you were in the romance genre to begin with, but I'm kind of yeah. curious when it turned dark for you. Well, kind of, I guess, like when I <laughs> came back, like, and when I published my vampire story, it's not dark. It's not super, super dark. Mm. Um, but it's like, I mean, there's murder in every single, or I should say there's death in every single one of my books, like every single one, even the one that just came out today in an anthology. It's like the closest thing I've written to a rom-com and like somebody still dies. So, (laughs) um, (laughs) like I just, yeah, I figure, I don't know. Like I just, it's realistic to me because like my real life world is kind of dark and gritty So I just kind of, it just seeps into my writing. Like I can't do fluff. I can't do light and happy and like hallmarky sort of things. Like mine is dark and dirty and, you know, like there might be fun moments or like funny, you know, quotes of dialogue, but overall, like you're not going to necessarily walk away like thinking like, oh, that was a fun beat read. Like, no. (laughs) And I, and I can confirm, you know, it, with the, with the excerpt that you sent, it is super fun to read, but yeah, it is dark. Yeah. Like, like it is like, it's dark. And it's it, you, that was the, the particular one that we're going to talk about is paranormal. And so you have those sort of like the, the, you know, the sort of spooky elements that come with witches and necromancers and, you know, all those things that go bump in the night, which I think it's like, maybe, I mean, do you find for readers like that's a little bit more palatable than the more the darker romances that are realistic that are like rooted in more realism um I think it depends because like I first got my bump of I don't want to say fame because I'm not famous by any stretch but like I started getting noticed when I wrote my uh Russian mafia kidnapping story and that's that's dark. Like that's probably the darkest I've published is those two books. Um, Which ones were those? 
that is it's the Solnishko duet and it's the kidnapping of Rowan Sinclair and the vengeance of Rowan Sinclair. It's okay. Just the two books. Okay. Um, so that's like on page Which torture, like a lot of violence, a lot of graphic. I'm gonna um, go one click those like right now. Yes, <laughs> language. <laughs> There's the beginning of on page you know essay but it fades to black you know but like there's enough of it that you know what's coming um you're like so that is like gritty and people obviously you either like are not okay with it but like you're okay reading it and you won't be triggered um or you're not (laughs) and the people who are not okay with that like definitely came for me and you know like you're glorifying this and this is disgusting and blah 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 you know and Malum Discordier, my witch paranormal one, yeah, it's not that dark. It's definitely not as dark as the Roan duet was. Um, but I think it is like you can forgive it a little bit more because it's fantasy. It's paranormal. Right. It's clearly not reality. Right. I I hope that will hold true for the next book in that series because that is also like super dark it's got straight up non-con on page like between the mcs um there's torture there's animal sacrifice like there's every trigger warning i can probably put in there short of like child essay is happening in this book and i'm just like well it's not a demon so i hope it's okay (laughs) like you're gonna have like every trigger warning yeah possible on this book wow um yeah okay first of all I'm like hats off I think that's super brave because I do know that you can get a you know you can catch a lot of shit for um for what you're writing and I think that it's a little bit I think that criticism is a little misguided because you know you've the there's no everybody has like don't yuck on someone's yum right like there is a reason why people are drawn to certain works and it doesn't necessarily mean that it's because they have a dungeon at home and they're doing (laughs) terrible things yeah you know what I mean like no there is an element of fantasy and I think for some people in particular it can actually be it can and it can actually help overcome certain types of trauma by reading it and sort of being able to kind of like take control it's it's a way of controlling whatever trauma they might have in their background absolutely and that's for roan especially that's wasn't the goal um because i don't i don't plan my books in that much detail but when it the book started heading that direction you know and i committed like okay like this is what has to happen to be authentic to the character and to the world and whatever um like i didn't just willy-nilly write stuff on the page like I did research because right I always do research but like I read survivor stories I watched documentaries I listened to you know interviews with survivors I looked up statistics like all the stuff because I wanted to capture as much authenticity as possible so god forbid some a survivor is reading this you know they might see themselves or they might you know just be able to relate to that and like appreciate that somebody took the time to understand them you know right. and like it wasn't done to glorify it it was done because it's a sad reality and this is just one portrayal of of that that happens in real world yeah in the Oops. real world 
Absolutely. I'm kind of curious for you as a writer, like, is, is it tough to write dub con and non con or is there like, how do you, how do you sort of process that for yourself? Um, the Roan scene was the worst for me. Like really? I literally made myself sick writing it because I was, you know, I write first person. Um, yeah. so I was in Roan's head, like as it was happening, trying to process like what you would be thinking, what you would be feeling like, and also focusing on like super random details, like, you know, the smell of the dumpster in the alley where he was like the feel of the asphalt underneath him, like just like other things to make it realistic, like that you don't necessarily focus on what's going on, you right. know, like yeah. to you, you like you're focused on your environment. Right. Um, but yeah, I'm, I made myself sick writing it. Like I was so worked up and anxious and like physically ill by the time I was done. I was crying. Like, you know, I cry when I write half my stuff. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> but, um, but then in Igni Faroque, the sequel to Malum, um, it's a demon non-conning uh, a witch that he's taken captive and you're in the witch's head while it's happening and um it's horrible and he doesn't you know he understands it's a demon and the demon's torturing him and that's part of the torture process but then like another reason becomes apparent like why the demon's doing it and it's he's trying to get like telepathically in his head and so then the witch is just like oh like okay like so it's not that you're just like a sick fuck like who's doing this like you're actually trying to get like information out of me and this is like a quote-unquote easy way to do it right. so like once he realizes that like he's not okay with it like you know like who would be okay but like he kind of understands it a little bit more right. um so he can come to terms later like with their relationship like it's so <laughs> yeah I, yeah I mean so I think this up. is I think this is why like I really enjoy reading dark romance I would love to write one I really want to write a mafia romance for some reason but Do I don't I, <laughs> <laughs> you need to like sit on that like you need to be the little voice like going do it do it do it do it do it um yeah, but I don't like I don't know man like you go such dark 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 places and I've gone you know, in a couple of my books, I went to some pretty dark places. I was dealing with, I write rock stars. So I was dealing with like the real, the gritty realities of what happens in the entertainment mm -hmm. industry and the music industry. And all of that sort of exploding around Weinstein was happening when I was writing uh, or while I was like, you know, sort of planning out one of the books. And so that was like a big part of it. And I was like, and I'm like, like not half as dark as dark romance writers. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, I think I need a palette. Cleanse. Like I need something to like walk away from this world for a little while. So I don't, you know, and then particularly now knowing your day job, I'm like, holy shit, how do you do this? It is therapeutic. Um, I don't know. I probably because like in my day job, like, I don't want to say I'm powerless, but like I'm on the other end of the phone. Right. So people are calling me screaming for help and like, other than sending them help, there's literally nothing I can do. So like right. you're in a position of power and authority, but yet you feel so absolutely helpless. Oh, man. So to be able to write dark romance and whether I'm writing from the villain's perspective or, you know, like from some person who just got swept up in it, like I am able to channel like my feelings about that, like, and work right. through some stuff. Um, oh, this is fascinating. And 
I'm sure you'll be shocked to know that I had a great upbringing. Um, so I'm also able to take like a lot of that nonsense and work through it. And, um, you know, right, if I right. am dealing with a particular issue within my family at any given moment, like I can write about it and like process it and then move on with my life. Yeah, so. absolutely. I completely understand that. Oh my God. It's so funny because while I was like, sort of like researching you and reading your scene and stuff like that, I was like, I swear she probably has like a Lisa Frank room in her house. <laughs> that's all like rainbows and unicorns. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> not like, well, not actually totally rainbows. I um yeah I have a lot of bunnies like a lot of stuffed animal bunnies um yeah a lot of fox stuff like just super random I'd be like wait this chick writes like like one of the my characters literally peeled somebody else's face off like cut it off and I'm like I'm gonna grab my stuffed animal bunny and go to bed now were you how, what the hell how did you research that that your google history must be amazing um I so my husband's a hunter and he obviously is had to, like <laughs> skin animals so I'm like honey what what does it feel like when you're you know skinning a deer like cut you know cutting the hide off and he's like oh well there's like a little bit of tension and you just tug and slide the knife around I'm like oh okay <laughs> so yeah amazing the hunter Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god, you guys should do like a writing hotline. Ask the hunter. Oh my god, he would probably love that. <laughs> so I've just given him his side hustle. Ask the yeah. hunter. <laughs> oh, he claims credit for so much in my books because <laughs> we'll, you know, be talking and I'll have like whatever issue I'm having and I'll be like, okay, so this is my issue. And then like I'll just talk nonstop for like 20 minutes or something, and he'll just be like, uh-huh yep uh-huh like the whole time and then I'll work through whatever the problem is myself yeah. and be like thanks and then run away and he's like yeah no problem like <laughs> he didn't he didn't do shit but he's like yep I helped with that one like no you didn't you were just oh. a person to talk to <laughs> you just were you're a warm body like <laughs> yeah I'm so happy that you said that though, because I actually do that too. Sometimes with my spouse, sometimes with my kid like you know and I'll just like talk at them and they're just looking at me like I'm nuts <laughs> You yeah. know, because I am literally talking at them. And then like, you know, five, 10 minutes later, I'm like, okay, got it. Walk away. And uh-huh. I was like, great. Glad to help. Thanks. Right. Like what just happened? Like, yeah. oh, okay then. One of the but things- no, yeah, he, he does help sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that I'm sort of fascinated about when you are working with, you know, with these tropes of non-con and dubcon and putting these characters then together later on, that seems like an insurmountable hurdle to me. Um, as, as a writer. And I'm very interested in how you are, are able to make that happen. Well, um, for Malum, it was kind of easy because they already had like a, the sexual attraction, right? Um, which people bitched about, of course, too, because they literally hook up in the first chapter. They don't have like full on penetrative sex, but they hook up at a party before they know who the other one is. And the premise of Malum is based on Romeo and Juliet. I felt like it was, <laughs> I was getting the vibes. Yeah, I was and totally getting the vibes. In Romeo and Juliet, they meet at a party 
and kiss before they know who the other one is and then they're like oh shit so people are like oh my god she ruined the tension because they hooked up in the first chapter i'm like have you read shakespeare like take it up with william because i just copied what he did um so it was easy for them to kind of get past their well it wasn't easy because like they're 80 percent of the way into the book and they're still bitching at each other like and not like they go back and forth almost the entire book of like, do I actually trust you or do I not? Like, is it just hormones? Like, is it our magic that's like messing with us? Like what's going oh, on? Interesting. Um, so yeah, they fought it for like a long time. And then people complained about that. Like, oh my God, like, you know, the back and forth, the bantering, like it just got to be too much. And I'm like, well, but if it, they would have given in too easy, like that's right. boring too. Right, right. It's so, a it's a fine line, and you know what, reader readers, it's it's very funny sort of to read criticism and sort of in part in like one part of my day job where I'm dealing with critics writing about artists, and I'm not the artist they're writing about, and it's really interesting because I'm always like, please review what's on the page and or or like what what you're seeing and not necessarily mm -hmm. what you want to see. Like this is not like they didn't create the thing you want to see. Okay, fine, but they did create a thing, and that's what you should be looking at. That's perfect like can you broadcast that to people because <laughs> seriously we get slammed all the time because they're like my expectation was this and they didn't deliver well I'm sorry your expectation was that like I wrote the story I wanted to write if you want that go write that like nobody's stopping you right like, you know right right and so it's sort of like and I like I can understand if it's like you are terrified by dark romance and you have, you put out a book with an illustrated cover and you were like <laughs> right and you know what I mean and you like missold what it was but I think ultimately as long as you're kind of like in the genre like do all the genre things so people know what they're getting when they purchase the book like you know take a look at the work that is in front of you and not necessarily the thing that you have in your head because you know nobody is going to create the book that you want to read it, you right. know, we're creating the books that, that we're creating like that and that's sort of full stop you know right so I don't know like it's tricky right because it, like I co I completely get criticism but at the same time I'm always like eh. <laughs> you know like I got I got hit with my last book um with like you know, saying the F word is not character development. And I was like, okay, first of all, yes, it Fuck can off. be. <laughs> Fuck off. First of all, yes, it can be. Second of all, <laughs> second of all, like, didn't you know what you were getting? Like there was a lot of pearl clutching in the review. And I'm like, I write rock star romance. You know, if you right. look, look inside, it's like, maybe like the fuck is in that first page? Like, you know what you're getting right. <laughs> not, you know, copious use of the f word though it may be um yes. you have to know what you're getting and so you know there there's like that sort of like interesting thing where it's like okay it's not the book it's not for you but like you kind of signed up for it you know? right right you know like oh, nobody was pulling the wool here and that's funny that somebody would even complain about that because that's something i'm doing in igni right now with the demon and the witch so the witch is um he's a necromancer and he's very he's basically like a priest so he's celibate he is very pure like he's very basic kind of lives like a monkish sort of lifestyle and so he doesn't swear like he's very prim and proper and then this demon comes in and ruins his life and like as the story progresses like he starts swearing more and more and, like, so <laughs> So I am using the 
F word as character development because like I said, the tagline for this next book is like, this isn't a redemption story. Like it's all about Phelan's fall or like his corruption. Like this is not going to be where he saves the demon. It's going to be where the demon totally like corrupts him. And you know, it's like the opposite of a redemption story. So oh my God, this sounds amazing. I, I hope it turns out the way I see it in my head like I'm you know still working on it but so far it's pretty interesting I'm kind of curious how you come up with these ideas because I do think that that's really fascinating and like you said like it was sort of like based on Romeo and Juliet are you sort of like anchoring these and sort of like you know like like the sort of more broad stories that we've been given when we're kids whether it's a fairy tale retelling or Shakespeare or something like that or like, I'm just kind of curious how these, and, and then do, giving that twist, like how do, cause like your, your premises are fascinating to me. And I'm like, how do you come up with that? Cause it's brilliant. Um, it depends on the story, which I know is a cop-out, but like Malum was obviously Romeo and Juliet. Like I made no qualms about like trying to disguise that fact. Um, I just released a short story today in that anthology that's right. heavily inspired by Beauty and the Beast. Like but it's a contemporary MM romance. Right. Um, but then like Igni is not like, okay. it's, I don't want to say it's totally original because nothing's nothing original is, anymore, yeah, yeah. but I'm not like actively basing it on anything. Like it's just another like straight up enemies to lovers hate each other um, story. And then like how they're forced to work together towards a common goal. And then, mm. you know, fall in love slowly but surely um so it just it just depends (laughs) I don't I don't know yeah I'm curious because I actually did my first the next book that's coming out um it's like my first kind of foray into inspired by something else right so um Mm -hmm. with uh with Runaway Bride it's sort of a gender swapped Runaway Bride or a take on that And I thought, and I actually really enjoyed it because I felt like, like one of the places where I think I fall apart as a writer is sort of plot development, like plot and like that sort of plot development thing. And Mm -hmm. I had my beats because I was like, I knew that I had to, like, I was following this thing. So I I just was able to match my beats and it made it like much, a much easier writing experience (laughs) for me. (laughs) Yes. So that is definitely the case for Malum um, because there was a couple points where I was like, you know, I knew generally where it was going. Like I've got the beats, like you said, the major plot points that I'm striving for, but like in the middle, I'm like, well, now what do I have them do? Right. Um, and I was able to go back and look at Romeo and Juliet. And one of the characters is um, the priest, the father in that, and like his whole obsession with plants. And that translated directly into one of my secondary characters, who is a professor of like botany. And his magic power is he can control plants and stuff so when I was stuck in this particular scene I was just like oh but like they turn to the priest when they need help so in my story they turn to the professor when they need help and you know oh well and I know in the scene that you sent me you have the characters walking through a poison garden which I thought was such a nice touch yeah I really love that like I wanted to do something more with that poison garden but I just didn't 
yeah quite get there I know. so we can't, we can't fit everything in but I that was one of the things I definitely wanted to talk to you about is the world building because I really feel like people are like I mean obviously with paranormal there's a little bit more world building going on but I really feel like romance writers are never given the sort of credit for creating worlds even if they're yes. not in fa- fantasy or paranormal um, and I think that that's actually a really important part of what we do beyond the happily ever after and the, and the, the romance aspect is actually creating these, these worlds. Yes. Um, whether it is like a small, cozy, small town or a small, creepy town, you know, <laughs> or like a big, you know, even if you're just like setting something like mine, uh, Roan was set like in and around Chicago. So like I mentioned Chicago, I mentioned like, you know, some of the suburbs around here. Um, but then like the key points that they went to, like a couple like nightclubs or strip clubs or whatever, like those are all just like made up in my head. Um, but it sets the scene. Like, right. you know, you're going to the CDS strip club with, you know, like run by Russian mafia. Like you, you feel sticky and dirty and you can smell cotton candy and like, you know, or at yeah. least I can when I was writing it. So yeah. if, if, but if I didn't have that, like it, I don't think it would have quite the same impact. Yeah. I think we so. need to like, certainly writing more, I guess, more viscerally, I guess would be what we're kind of doing um, in terms of like igniting all of those senses Um, Mm -hmm. you know, for our readers to sort of really understand where they are, whether it is, you know, shadowy or bright, you know, or the scent, like you said, of cotton candy in this dingy ass strip club, or like the grit of something underneath, you know, uh, your hand, if you fall or, you know, like there's just, Mm -hmm. you know, senses of place that we have to create. And, you know, I'm going down the gritty dark hole, but it could be just like, you know, the sunlight on your skin. Well, yeah, you know, by the beach or the sound of waves crashing, the smell of salt air, you know, or whatever it might be in the, in that sort of like cheery small town. And I right. think that there is a, you know, we are creating these worlds and dropping characters in them. And there is this sort of insane amount of world building that happens. And, you know, I kind of felt like when I was reading your section, I was like, God, this is like world building on steroids. Cause you, <laughs> you know, you're going through the poison garden, you're taking them into this crypt and like, you know, and like, you're really explaining it to us. We are really walking with them. I really felt like I was walking beside them as we were going through this. And that's, I mean, that's what I want. Like, I want people to feel like they're there or like they're watching a movie in their head. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Um, like, I know they say not to like over explain things and I, I do pull back, um, on over explaining, but like, at the same time, I also, I want to make sure you see what I see when I'm writing it. So, yeah, you know. and, you, and you know what, though, that's, like, that's also tricky. Again, like there's like, the, there are these like weird balances that we're constantly trying, having to do as right. Mm-hmm. Like we're balancing the relationship. We're balancing how much we're, you know, information we're giving you and we're pulling this back. And it's like, it gets like, kind of like, how do we do, like, how do we balance all of this sometimes? I, yeah. I wing it a lot of the time. Yeah, honestly. me too. Like, <laughs> I haven't figured out a formula. I'm just like, meh, this sounds good. I'm guessing you pants. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) Like, I'll get just maybe a brief idea of a story. And then, like I said, I'll have those few plot points that I know I want to incorporate somehow. But if as I'm writing something, it changes, like it changes. And I like, I'm okay scrapping, you know, the whole second half of a book to like 
of what I originally had planned to like follow some weird path that it's taken. Um, Igni's done that. I think it's changed probably like three times already. Like wow. it's, it just keeps okay. evolving right. from like what I originally thought it would be to like something else. <laughs> I actually love that discovery process. I've tried to outline and like I said, you know, I'll start and I'll be great. And then, and then all of a sudden I'm writing and writing and I'm realizing that I've just chucked the outline out the window and it's like 17 chapters later. I'm like, Oh shit, there's nothing here in my story that even resembles this outline anymore. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's because, you know, I mean, I know my characters, but I really get to know my characters um, as I'm going through the process with them. Absolutely. Like I, you know, start out with just a general idea of like who they are and what they want. Um, and then like, as I write, like more and more of their personality comes out, like their likes and dislikes, their fears, their, you know, all of those right. little details. And then like, I can go back and like add that stuff in to the beginning pieces. Well, like when I didn't know that. Right. Um, Cause I don't write linearly either. Like oh, I write. Don't no oh so okay uh, well I should say it depends um so wither that just came out today the beauty and the beast inspired that I wrote linearly and then the Coventry Carol which is uh, <laughs> a dark Christmas novella love um, it <laughs> that I wrote linearly too but like all of my books like my bigger books yeah I hop around and I would just write whatever I want to write and then I go back and fill in the quote-unquote boring stuff where you know, it's not necessarily boring, but it's like not smutty or not action or, or you know, like it's just like a little moment or right. Like yeah. it gets you to the next point, but like, it's not necessarily the most thrilling part of the story. Right. So, right. Yeah. I hop around all the time in my books. Oh, that's super interesting. Um, that I don't do as much, um, but I have definitely done it and, you know, um, it's, it's definitely an interesting way to write. I don't know if I like it or not yet. <laughs> I feel like the jury's still out on that. <laughs> Just, yeah, I think because like, I've got those few plot points in my head. So like, those are the scenes I'm most excited about. Right. So I, I just like dive in before I lose that momentum. And right. then I figure out a way to go back and like Put it piece all it all together. Yeah, that's really cool. So when you started writing, you your first was a like that sort of quote unquote standard female male mm -hmm. romance, and then you swapped. Well, are you still writing that as well as male male, or are you mostly are you now strictly male male? I am now strictly male male. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know. I started MF because that's standard. Like that, I, you know, male male didn't even cross my mind um like I knew it kind of existed as a genre but I didn't realize how big of a genre it was like until I got into it hmm. and so I did the two MF books and then um it was in the Leander Wells series that things changed and I was so I wrote the first two books in the Leander series it's the same exact timeline but one book is from her perspective and one book is from his perspective. Okay. And then I wanted to write a prequel, like to show how he ended up in a psych institution, you know, on murder charges. And then <laughs> that's when my other male character, Bennett, literally like crashed through a door in my head and was like, hey, bitch, like this book <laughs> is going to be mine. 
and I'm Leander's love interest and like she needs to go. So I hadn't published the second book yet. So I was able to go back and like tweak things to add Bennett into it. But the whole third book was from Bennett and like it explained why Bennett wasn't around in the second book and like, you know, why Leander attached himself to Lorelai the way he did, even though he was still deeply in love with Bennett. Okay. Um, And yeah, it just like once Bennett Leander became a thing in my head, like MF just went out the window. (laughs) (laughs) Just totally. I have no interest in writing it. I don't read it anymore. Like all I read is MM. If I'm reading romance, all I read is MM. Oh, wow. I can still read MF like thrillers or yeah, I guess thrillers or like a historical or something. But if it's a romance, MM a thousand percent of the time. I don't know why. Yeah, I was gonna say, do you know why? Because I think that, you know, because it is a huge genre and it's like so many women read it. And I'm very curious, you know, why, why are women drawn to the male-male dynamic? So this comes up a lot in like MM communities. Um, A lot of people, well, okay. So there's the people who say that women who read and write this are just fetishizing men, which maybe some are, I'm not. I take offense to that if people say that I am because I don't look at my characters like as a man, like my characters are my characters. Right. They just happen to be men. Right. Um, like, and I don't do the thing where like one is like obviously a female, you know, like the female stand in and like one's the the male. Like right. they are people. They are fully fleshed out people. And like if they top or bottom, like it has nothing to do with like who they are. Um, I don't know if that's the same for every other MM author, but yeah. So I just I focus on the character. And I think the thing for me about MM is, or I guess that I don't care for with MF anymore, Mm -hmm. is I have a really hard time relating to the female characters. And that sounds strange because I am female, but I I don't know. I work in a male-dominated environment. Right. Um, My life is always, like, I've always related to men more than females in my life. Like, I'm not a girly girl. I'm not a tomboy either, but, like, I'm, I don't know. Like, I just, I would prefer to be outside and, like, exploring things and, you know, not, like, sitting around the kitchen table gossiping like the women in my family used to do. I mean, do you, do you sense a powerlessness coming from the female characters that you're sort of reading in romance? Um, and is that what's sort of like, like bugging you, I guess, or, or makes it unreadable for you? It could be powerlessness or it's an overcompensation and they're just like ultra bitchy and annoying. <laughs> like there was this one that I read where she was, it's a paranormal and she was, you know, just this slight little thing and, you know, like five, three and 90 pounds and, you know, but like, she's going to go take on these big bad demons with a baseball bat, like bitch, get in the house. Like, (laughs) you know, you're not doing anything. Like nobody believes you. You're not tough. You're being stupid. Right. So like that, that annoys me too. I just feel like some of the MF that I was reading and I was reading a lot of like dark MF. So maybe that was part of it too. It was just okay. so like over the top unrealistic, like 
yeah, I just I could not connect with them. Like I couldn't okay. connect either because they were damsels, damsels in distress or because they thought they were badass when they're not. Right. So I was just like, whatever. And then, yeah, Bennett and Leander came into my head and I was like, oh, okay, well, maybe I should go see like what other mm people are doing because i've never my, read any yeah that was my question had had you been reading it at that time or no no okay. like i i hadn't read any of it so i was like i'm gonna go read some other mm authors and see like how you you know do this right and the first book i read was Kay webster's um wicked lies boys tell and that's like a friends to enemies to lovers story and I just, I loved it. Like I was just hooked, just hooked from the beginning. And then from there I branched out into other authors and I was like, yep, like this is it. This is my genre because for the most part, the stories that I read, like there is no power imbalance, you know, even yeah. if it's like a boss, an employee or, you know, like one has a position of authority over the other one, there's still not the same power imbalance that is there with mf yeah. i don't know why but um, and it's yeah just, yeah yeah like i'm not also i'm also not trying to put myself in the character's shoes like i can literally just sit back and read a book and enjoy a story like and a romance between two people and not be thinking to myself how absolutely unrealistic whatever it is is you know like right. I was doing like I would read mf romance and critique like everything like that's not realistic or you know like men don't do that or like girl like shut the fuck up you know like whatever <laughs> but then if I'm reading mm like I just get to sit back and read the story right and like I don't have to think about anything like I'm just taking it for what it is it's super interesting that you're talking about that sort of like that there's a power dynamic that you like a skewed power dynamic in mf that is not in mm and i think and i'm wondering if that is just sort of like a reflection on our sort of larger society <laughs> um yeah and just not you know not because not necessarily because and it's maybe not necessarily a conscious thing that you know romance writers are doing but because it is so ingrained um you know in our day-to-day -day lives like i'm wondering if that kind of it just ends up happening that way or probably. consciously or not, you know, I mean, some people are probably very conscious, like I'm very conscious of certain power dynamics that need to be there because there is a real power dynamic that I'm working with, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I just, I also think, I don't know, I, obviously romance or any book is like a fantasy. It's a right. fiction. It's a way for people to escape. Um, and so for like some people who, you know, love reverse harem, like, obviously they love the idea of like four to five men just absolutely fawning over you and like doing whatever you want, like, you know, stopping at nothing to all please you. And that's super cool for those people who read it and write it. I don't like that. <laughs> like, to right. me, it's so unrealistic. Like, I, no, like I just, I don't, I haven't even read harem romance in like MM just because I, it just seems so unrealistic like right so I yeah I like the fantasy I like the escape but I also like it to be realistic like you know not so over the top like I want it to be like relatable or authentic like mm. authentic I think that's yeah. probably a better word I was gonna say authentic feels like the word because it's like you know it's so funny it's like you know 
you write these sort of like super dark paranormals and you're like but rooted in realism but it, but it is like you know like, right <laughs> but but there but it is it, it is it has this authenticity you know so I think it's time to read a bit from your <laughs> stimma scene <laughs> okay so this is Malum Dis- Discordi Discordier Discordier okay yes. Malum Discordier um, we're, how far are we into the book? We're kind of, I feel like we're kind of in that first third. Yeah, it's chapter 13. So yeah. it's maybe 25, 30% ish. Okay. And, and so are we, Graham and, and Cassius or Cassius, how, do, how are you pronouncing his name? <laughs> I pronounce it Cassius just because, okay. um, yeah, we're American. I know you're American too, but, um, yeah, I was. I had this debate with myself, like, should I pronounce it in my head, Cassius or Cassius? And there were so many Cassiuses out there when I, you know, Googled the name or whatever. I was like, I'm going to do Cassius and then make his nickname Cash to like really emphasize. To emphasize that this is what it is. Yeah. 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 But there are some people who are like, I didn't even realize that you did that. Like they were still saying like his full name is Cassius in their head, but like then the, the nickname was just cash. And I'm like, I, it really doesn't matter. Like it was just like for me and how I say it. Right. Right. So, okay, cool. So it's uh, Cassius and Graham and they've already kissed. Like we, so we've established that in that first chapter, like Romeo and Juliet, they've already shared this kiss before they realize who they are. And now we're at the point where they do know where they are, but I'd love for you to just kind of set this up for us a little bit. Like, where are we? Yes. So uh, Cassius is from the necromancer family and Graham is from like a a line of nature witches and they don't get along. (laughs) Their families have been feuding for 350 years. Um, Basically they're like a new England Hatfield and McCoy, like, you know, (laughs) Sometimes they'll kill the, you know, necromancer family. Sometimes they'll kill the witch family and they just go back and forth. And so now they are the newest generation of this ongoing feud. Um, But they, first of all, they get paired up to work together. They're in college. Um, Cassius is a freshman and Graham is a sophomore. And they get paired up together in their botany class to do a project. But more than that, um, Six years before this, Graham's father murdered Cassius's mother. And he did that because he thought Cassius's mother murdered Graham's little brother. Oh, man. And all the adults around this, like, don't want to talk about it. Like, they're trying to move on. Like, the details are very fuzzy about what happened. So both of the boys are trying to find out like what really happened that day. And because Cassius is a necromancer, he can talk to spirits. So they are going into the crypt to get his mother's ashes to like basically do a seance with her and ask her like, Hey, remember that day you were murdered? Like what really happened? (laughs) Tell us what happened. (laughs) So yeah, that's why they are traipsing through a family crypt in the backyard is so they can get some answers for each other and get some closure you know and then they can move on with their lives okay cool and I should also add that these two are bickering the entire way (laughs) (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, I mean, there is like hardcore, but like they are just at each other's throats and it's, mm-hmm. it's really kind of funny. And that was the moment when you were talking about how like, it's not all dark, like, no, like their back and forth were so funny. It's like, you're yourself a you're a self-centered, arrogant asshole. You know what? Like, so are you. Like, fuck you, fuck you, you know? And it's like, and they have this good back and forth where they're just like, you know, one of them is like, why are you making me walk through a poison garden, fucker? And why, why are all your parents in a crypt? Like, this, the, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's just like this yeah. sort of like, great. Why is your family in a crypt? Why aren't they buried like normal people? Yeah, I mean, it was just like... <laughs> like oh my god these two it was like really really funny and it was really well done but um but I didn't pick those parts Um, (laughs) but I did want to set it up like that so we are in this part we're in Cassius's uh, head we're in his point of view Mm -hmm. okay all of a sudden his hands were on my chest tangled in my shirt He drove me back against the stone wall so hard the air went out of me. Before I could even think about escaping, his body pressed against mine, trapping me there between him and the stone. Has anyone ever told you what a self-centered, arrogant asshole you are? Get off me. Regardless of the fact we were about to rip each other apart, being this close to him made my heartbeat stutter, just like it did the first time I saw him. Why did he have to be so goddamn attractive? He was like a snake in the garden. His beauty lured you in, then a fucking viper leapt out when you least expected it. The command made him smirk and shove more weight against me. Make me. You're such a child, ironic, considering he was at least a year older than me. Gritting my teeth, power pricked as it surged through my hands. He must have realized what I was doing because the next thing I knew, he grabbed both of my wrists in one hand and slammed them above my head. No magic, he snapped, the heat from his gaze burning into mine. Pussy, I all but hissed the word, moving my face a fraction of an inch closer to his. Don't push me, Corbin. Am I supposed to be afraid of you? I snorted, snorted out a der- der- derisive laugh. You're a disgrace to weather witches throughout time. Stormbringer, my ass. Electricity darted down both of my eye- arms, ripping through my nerve endings with each painful bolt. Stormy enough for you, asshole? I grimaced, grinding out a fuck you while trying to keep myself upright. Maybe that's what your problem is, Graham growled, pushing his hips into me. His cock was already hard as steel, rubbing against mine and throwing fuel on the fire I was trying and failing to snuff out. Maybe you're so hard up for it. That's why you're such a miserable prick. I'm not hard up for anything, you idiot, least of all you, except my own hard on obliterated that defense couldn't even think straight when he was around. My head hated him for a thousand reasons, but there was a want in my blood I couldn't deny. It had been there since Preston's party, the first time he touched me, smiled at me, and of course, kissed me. I love that, <laughs> love that moment. And this is where I like made a note. I was like, okay, this is sort of like a Romeo and Juliet story, faded lovers. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I, I was I thought this was really cool. I had a question when you're writing uh, MM because I don't, I don't read it and I should, because I really enjoy this, the MM scenes that I'm reading from for the podcast. And I'm like, why don't I, cause, and I have them all (laughs) queued up in my Kindle and I'm like, I need to read these. Um, But I'm kind of curious, do you ever feel like the world that you're building, is there any sort of homophobia or is everything, or is this like fine? Like this is okay. And the characters don't have to deal with that. Um, it depends on the story. So okay. in the Tenebris world where Malum and Igni take place, um, it's fine. Like it is what it is. Like the words gay, and bisexual never actually even come up in Malum. 
um nobody even really bats an eye like when they get together it's the confusion is who they are like who their families are not that they're both guys um and I just it wasn't relevant to them so it didn't the only time you even get a hint of like Cassius being the bisexual one is um when Graham says something about like have you ever topped before and Cassius was like not with a guy you know okay but um it just wasn't an issue for them and I just figured like they're in New England which tends to be a little bit more liberal I feel like and they're in a university town also more liberal so like I feel like sexuality really wouldn't be a thing for them right um and then now in Igni like I said he's basically like a priest and obviously homosexuality is frowned upon by the Catholic Church um so I had to do like a whole bunch of research on that and yeah it it turns out like Phelan doesn't want to sin against God you know by being with well a demon first of all but also a real demon (laughs) um but he actually so he has like a sexual identity crisis because like at that point he didn't really have sexual desires at all like for male female a potato like nothing like he was just (laughs) like you know he knew he was gonna take this like priestly sort of route so like it just never even occurred to him so I don't know if that makes him like a a demisexual or asexual I I don't know okay and he doesn't know and it doesn't really matter um but then he learns out some more information about himself and his family later on and like that is more of a crisis to him than the fact that like he might be gay or whatever um so yeah it like again it's just a small role in it um but then in like the the roan duet like homophobia is all over that series because it's the russian mob and being gay is not okay in any capacity so like that is yeah it just it depends on the book so one one world like it's all homophobia and like violence and slurs and then in the next it's like you literally don't even know if they're gay or bisexual or what you just know that they're two boys who love each other right Okay, cool. I was just kind of curious how how that was handled and, and that makes complete and total sense. Um, I kind of love that you've created this world where it's like, don't matter, just is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I think there was even a point where in Malum, somebody said something about them being together <laughs> and one of the side characters was like, I don't care whose kid is stooping who's like, we need to get to the bottom of this. <laughs> You know, so it's like even the old people in the town are like, we have more important things to worry about than, right. <laughs> you know, two guys getting together. Okay, I'm gonna go down a little bit more and read here. Okay. Um, so now they're 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 really starting to like we got feelings going on here. We've got you know <laughs> pa- ten, pa- sexual tension. He put his hands on either side of me, caging me against the wall. A moment later, his tongue skipped along my throat, making its way up to my jaw. I turned to see what he was doing right as his, at his, as his tongue crested my chin and went straight to my mouth, invading it the same way he'd invaded my thoughts from the first moment I'd laid eyes on him. Still, I resisted. I pushed against his chest and pulled back as much as I could with the stone behind me. He caught my wrists and pinned them again, pressing his body against mine even harder. Angling his face, he resumed his attack on my mouth, slipping his tongue inside deeper 
As much as I hated him, I couldn't help the strangled moan that worked its way out of my throat. When we broke away for air, he pulled back a bit, looking at me with, with lust-drunk eyes. It was the same way he looked the night of Preston's party before either of us knew who the other was, before the, land and the sign, before the line in the sand was drawn. Back when we were just two people connected by luck or fate or hormones, not hatred. They say there's a fine line between love and hate, but what about lust and hate? Where did that fall on the spectrum? This changes nothing, I snarled, slipping my hands inside his waistband and pushing his pants and underwear down past his hip. I still fucking hate you, he agreed, leaning back to tear his shirt over his head and toss it aside, stepping out of his jeans while he was at it. As soon as he was naked, he yanked my shirt off and knelt in front of me, dragging my pants downward as he went once to get it out of our system and then back to figuring out the other shit, figuring the other shit out. Once he agreed, his breath washed over my dick before he kissed the head gently. His tongue flicked, flicked out over the slit, licking away the precom. I sighed and leaned back, running my fingers through his dark hair and his head bobbed in front of me, sucking and swallowing my length in his infuriatingly perfect mouth. My hips flicked now and again, shoving my cock that little bit deeper. Part of it was to remind him he wasn't completely in charge. The other part was fucking animal instinct. No surprise I was turned on by what he was doing with his mouth, but when I saw he was jacking himself off at the same time, I almost lost it. He glared up at me now and again, but never once slowed down until he popped off the end and spat out a new command. Turn around. I, and I did. I have no idea why I did. I shouldn't have. I shouldn't be doing any of it. I should have told him to go to hell. I shouldn't have braced myself against the wall and arched my back in anticipation of what was coming next. His hands ran down the small of my back and caressed my ass cheeks almost reverently. When his lips pressed against one, against one then the other, my breath caught. It left, me it left me entirely when he spread them apart and his tongue lashed out, trailing up and down my backside from hole to balls and back up and over and over until he concentrated his efforts on the hole itself, licking and swirling and sucking like I'd never experienced before. Fuck me. I closed my eyes and pressed my forehead against the smooth stone, fingers clawing against the hard surface. Why did it have to feel so good? Why did he have to make it feel so good? He pulled away with a low chuckle, massaging my ass cheeks. Is that good, baby? Shut up, I snapped, nearly sighing when he picked up where he left off. This time, he pressed against my entrance with a finger, sinking it inside with zero warning. I exhaled sharply and pushed back, overriding my surprise in the initial burn by taking control. He slid his finger in and out while his mouth dropped lower, licking my balls and the crown of my cock. God, I hated him. I hated what he was doing. I hated that I felt like I was going to come undone any second and his dick wasn't even inside me yet. I hated the, that the best sex of my fucking life was with Graham fucking Hewitt. <laughs> there was so much it was so funny because there was so much push pull internally like it wasn't even necessarily a push pull between the characters I actually loved seeing the push pull in his own head where he's like I hate him but this is good I hate him but this is awesome I hate him but I don't hate him I hate like I really loved seeing that I was like this is amazing and that actually really ratcheted up the tension um and I, and I loved seeing that sort of internal kind of monologue or even dialogue happening amongst him, amongst him. And that was what was causing that tension to grow because they're already going at it. Like they're already right. doing the thing, but like the tension continued to build, which I thought was really cool. Thank you. Yeah. I just, um, so I labeled that scene as Dubcon because like Graham initiated it and, yeah. you know, Cash was like, mm, no, like we really shouldn't. 
but like he never really said no so like like I don't know there were it was definite especially at the beginning when like I felt like there was like it was definite dub con in the beginning when like Graham was kind of touching him and he was kind of like I don't know don't like no like don't touch me and then and then but inside he's like okay touch me and then (laughs) (laughs) you know so he so there were there was this sort of element of dub con I think I think it played out though earlier when it was that sort of he clasped his hands over his head and he's like I'm gonna necromance you or whatever if you touch me right. again you know like there was that <laughs> sense but then internally he's like no touch me there touch me there touch me there yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was almost like he was dub conning himself right like <laughs> right <laughs> yeah because he knew yeah he should no, yeah. because of who they were but he's like it feels yeah. good <laughs> and that's when they were like once and he's like okay once once yeah. okay we're just doing it once this one time and you know they're both full of shit like no they're neither right. gonna do it more than once okay, once so- never happened oh <laughs> we all say one more time and then it's like it's always like you know yeah one more cupcake who's gonna right one more cupcake we're having two <laughs> okay one more like one more little bit okay. that i loved okay one more thrust one more stroke and i was done for the warm pressure in my balls fucking exploded unloading my cum all over the stone wall if it weren't for the fact Graham was holding me in place, I'm pretty sure I would have wound up in a puddle on the floor. I almost didn't realize he had pulled out until he collapsed against my back, grunting through his own orgasm. His cum shot out on the floor between our feet. I suppose I should have been grateful for small favors. Cleanup wouldn't be that much of a pain now, and I'd be able to save some sort of face with the fact that he didn't actually come inside me. Not that my pride mattered much at this point. Fuck me, Graham panted, his warm breath caressing the back of my neck. That was hot. It was hot and fulfilling and fucking wrong. Graham, Graham was everything I couldn't want in one giant peculiar eyed package. Totally love that there was some post coil regret going on here because that like needed to happen, right? Like it couldn't be, it couldn't be the, I'm okay with this. Like, because <laughs> that's not where their relationship is yet. Nope. I love this scene. This was a really great scene. Thank you. Thank you for sharing it with us. <laughs> it was one of the first scenes I wrote for them, actually. Like really? I, just, I had just this vague idea of, you know, this family feud. And I had the scene and I didn't even know if they were in a crypt or like just in a building and it was against a wall or whatever. I wrote just the bare bones of it. And I sent it to my friend, Amy. And I was like, tell me if this is cringy or not. <laughs> and she's like, uh, no, where's the rest of it? I was like, oh, okay, well, I'll get to work on that. But <laughs> that's awesome. I love that you send it off and you're like, okay, cringy, not cringy. Tell me what it's saying. Yeah. <laughs> I do I, with everything. I'm like, Amy, tell me if this sucks. And oh. So she's like, no, you're good. Like, okay, thanks. <laughs> Um, Ashlyn, thank you so much for being here. I love talking to you. This was such a great conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh my God. Now, where can people find you? Like, where do you like to hang out on the internet? Um, mostly Instagram. I'd say I'm most active there. Um, my, all my handles are just the same. It's Ashlyn Druick, no fancy, you know, spaces or punctuation or anything. Um, but if you go to my website, ashlyndruick.com it's got links to all of my stuff. I've got Instagram, Facebook. I am on TikTok, but not very well. Me too. Um, <laughs> Me too. I have a TikTok issue. I'm trying mentally. You no, know, it's mentally. just so much work. I just, 
It is, yeah. isn't it? It's a lot of work. And it's like, you have to show, like you have to physically show up there on video and I'm just not good with that. Yeah. No. You know, I'm just not good with that. And I always feel like, you know, I have a few up there and I always feel like, why did like, and I have like the worst resting bitch face and I just look, so I just look like bitchy all the time. And when I don't, when I try and like change my face, then, Mm -hmm. then my face looks weird. And I'm like, I don't know what my face is doing. (laughs) I hear you. I've got the same RBF all the way. Like, nope, I'm just minding my own business. Really? (laughs) I know. I look like I'm about to bite your head off, but really I'm not really. I'm having a really pleasant time in my own head. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) I will include a link um, to your website in the show notes so that people can find it. They don't have to pull over and write it down or be like, should I missed it? So that will be there um, for everyone to go start following you. Um, Ashlyn, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. Big thank you to Ashlyn for her candor, which made for an incredible conversation. And thank you so much for listening. Get ready for next time when USA Today and New York Times bestselling author AC James is on the steam seat. Until then, keep it steamy.